Welcome to My American Melting Pot, the podcast where we have conversations about pop culture, parenting, and identity politics, all from a multicultural perspective. I'm your host, Lori Tharps. I'm an author, a journalist, a mother of three, and I like to think of myself as a diversity diva. I'm really glad you're here because we have a lot to talk about. first episode of the My American Melting Pot podcast. Even though you might be listening days or even weeks after its launch day, we prepared this episode to debut on Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, because that's the focus of the show. Thanksgiving, the most melting pot holiday on the books. Think about it. It's a holiday that commemorates a time when Europeans and Native Americans worked together for a common goal and then celebrated with a hearty potluck dinner. So at its core, it's a holiday that honors multiculturalism and diversity. Or does it? Joining me in conversation to help deconstruct the Thanksgiving holiday and reimagine it as an actual opportunity for honoring America's diverse heritage is Dr. Crystal Fleming. Crystal is a writer and sociologist who researches racism in the United States and abroad. She earned degrees from Wellesley College and Harvard University and is an associate professor of sociology and Africana studies at Stony Brook University. She is the author of Resurrecting Slavery, Racial Legacies and White Supremacy in France. And her new book, How to Be Less Stupid About Race, just came out to great acclaim. I'm hoping Crystal Fleming can help us be less stupid about Thanksgiving. But before we get to that conversation, a melting pot minute. Hello, Melting Pot community. Since this is the first episode of the podcast, I thought this would be the perfect time to define what I mean by the word melting pot. The term melting pot was used to describe America's unique immigrant culture as far back as the 1700s, but the phrase didn't come into common usage until 1908 when a play called The Melting Pot debuted. So in that play, two Russian immigrants, one Jewish, one Christian, overcame their differences in their adopted home of America. The play ends with the main character envisioning a country at peace with its ethnic and religious diversity. Cue the violins. But while many people embrace the idea of describing America as a melting pot, a country where people of all ethnicities, races, religions, and cultures could become an American— There were many others who balked at the term because slavery, because the Trail of Tears, because the Chinese Exclusion Act, basically because racism. In other words, these critics claim America isn't a melting pot, especially if you're a person of color, because there are restrictions as to who is allowed to be an American and reap the benefits of the so-called American dream. At best, America is a salad bowl or a stew where the ingredients sit side by side, but never mix. But seriously, my American salad bowl, it just doesn't have the same ring to it. And the fact is, there really are so many examples in our nation's past of people of different races and ethnicities living, loving, and working together. In 16th century Florida, Black people and Spanish people were living side by side in the city of St. Augustine. In 18th century New York City, Irish immigrants and free people of color we're living in the Seneca Village together. In 20th century Maine, a mixed-race community was living peacefully on Malaga Island. And I could go on and on. And not just pulling examples from the past, 
Today, I see Melting Pot America in Korean tacos and hip-hop music and in the entire city of Miami. There are so many examples of cross-cultural connections in America from the past, present, and future. And yet, we've been brainwashed into believing this country was segregated from the start. The truth is, the human condition compels us to find common ground with the people around us, despite racial, ethnic, or religious differences. Integrated communities, interracial relationships, and a dependence on immigration is our true legacy as a nation. I see America as de facto diverse. Segregation and racial hostility have been imposed upon us when the powers that be feel threatened by the unity of the 99%. My mission here with the Melting Pot podcast is to highlight the ways that America's diversity works and to question when it doesn't. But all of this is done in an effort to change and challenge the narrative of how we view diversity and difference in America. I see America as a melting pot, a delicious combination of people with diverse backgrounds, living, loving, and working together. Not melting into an anonymous American stereotype, but bringing all the flavors of their identity to the pot. I hope you can see it that way too. This has been a Melting Pot Minute. Now let's get to deconstructing Thanksgiving with our guest, Dr. Crystal Fleming. Welcome to the show, Dr. Crystal Fleming. Hi, Lori. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for being here as our first Melting Pot guest. Yeah, it's exciting. So we're here to talk about Thanksgiving. And when I think about uh, Thanksgiving, I always think about the stories that they told us in grade school where you had this story where the pilgrims who were fleeing England looking for religious freedom came to America, but they were ill-prepared to deal with the cold and some friendly Native American people helped them deal with the harsh winters taught them how to farm. And then in the following year, this was in 1621, the pilgrims finally had a, a harvest that they could um, that they could eat enough. They had enough to eat. So to celebrate their successful harvest, they invited the friendly Native Americans to have this wonderful meal. And the Native Americans brought something and the pilgrims brought something. And this was the first Thanksgiving. So now the truth is that a harvest festival continued to be celebrated in subsequent years, and George Washington did institute a day of Thanksgiving, but it wasn't until 1863 when President Lincoln issued a proclamation declaring the last Thursday in November to be Thanksgiving, and that's when the holiday became recognized as a national celebration. And Lincoln wasn't actually thinking about the pilgrims and the natives. He was trying to get people to focus on peace between the North and the South. But still, the idea of warring cultures coming together over food was still a main part of the celebration. But essentially, the story that everybody knows is the pilgrims and the Native Americans. So my first question for you, Crystal, is uh, what's wrong with this kind of hallmark version of Thanksgiving where we have pilgrims and Native Americans breaking bread together in peace? What I think is wrong with it is that it doesn't tell the story from the perspective of Indigenous Americans. You know, history from minority perspectives looks very different than the story that's told by the colonizer. So I think, you know, in many ways, we've been indoctrinated to 
think about colonialism as a beautiful celebration, and that's not what it ever was. Sociologist James Lowen wrote a really great book called Lies My Teacher Told Me. And one of the things he does in that book is to demystify the reality of Thanksgiving and to explain that from the perspective of Indigenous people, it was horrific. And by it, I mean the coming of the colonizers and the genocide to which they were subjected and the theft of their land. So the idea that for generations now, Americans have been, you know, sort of, again, indoctrinated and taught to reframe this horrific chapter, ongoing chapter in our history, right? Because settler colonialism is ongoing. But we've been taught to reframe it as a wonderful thing and associate it with a delicious meal and family and coming together. Um, I think it's a great moral failing and one that we need to, uh, in 2018, you know, it's pretty late in the game, but we need to see this history with clear eyes. Yeah, you know, regardless of when people are listening to this, they'll pretty much have at least a year to rethink Thanksgiving in the interim. And this is coming after Columbus Day, for example, where Columbus Day has now been reframed for a lot of people, even, you know, officially different states have no longer celebrating Columbus Day and they have renamed it as Indigenous Peoples Day. Mm-hmm. Um So this is kind of what we need to do about Thanksgiving as well. And I know that for a lot of Indigenous people, they already don't celebrate Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Um, They call it a day of mourning, and they use it as a day to remember the devastation that has happened because of European colonization. So I wonder, you know, this is Thanksgiving is, though, such an American holiday And the way that we celebrate it, like you said, is food and family. Is there a way to connect the reality of what Thanksgiving actually means to a lot of people with what Americans have done with this holiday? Yeah, I mean, I just, but I don't know that it looks like celebrating, right? I mean, to your point, (laughs) you know, many Indigenous people rightly mark it as a day of mourning, I think that's not something that has to be restricted to Indigenous people. I would think that when you begin to study the reality of settler colonialism and the oppression that Indigenous people have faced and survived, I think no matter what your background is, that is something that we should mourn, that we should care about, that we should want to learn more about, that we would want to center the perspectives of Indigenous people You know, others have pointed out the great irony of the fact that Thanksgiving takes place during a month that's supposed to be about Indigenous and Native American heritage. November is uh, a month where we're supposed to be centering Indigenous folks. And yet, even in Thanksgiving, we see their erasure, we see their marginalization, we see the, the mythology of this holiday that has for far too long really miseducated Americans about the realities that Native folks have been living with. So I think, I don't know that rethinking Thanksgiving still looks like a celebration. I think, you know, one of the things we have to be willing to do is to maybe give up the warm and fuzzy holiday that many of us grew up with and rethink it and say, well, maybe it's a day of mourning, not just for Indigenous people, but for all of us who want to say that Indigenous lives matter. 
Yeah. You know, this is something that I've been thinking about as I was preparing for this show is that Native American people are one of the most marginalized groups. And we have a Black Lives Matter movement. We talk about police brutality. We talk about the Me Too movement. And in so many of these cases, Native American people are the silent victims or the unheard from victims and all of these um, social ills. And like you said, here we have a month that's supposed to be honoring or at least paying attention to this community. And we have this holiday that supposedly celebrates our connection to Native Americans and theoretically gives thanks to them for all the help that they gave the English pilgrims, if you will. Isn't it ironic that we have this holiday that centers Native Americans? I mean, you can't go to an elementary school uh, Thanksgiving pageant and not find the little children who are dressed up as Native Americans. And yet we as a society, our media, our popular culture, our activist community even, really are so disconnected from what's really happening in the Native American world. Is that the most like hypocritical holiday ever then? I would say, Lori, that in fact, Native Americans are not at all centered in Thanksgiving. What's centered is a caricature mm-hmm. of Native mm-hmm. Americans that is not of their own making. And so the United States just sort of ideologically needs a caricature of Native Americans and the encounter between settlers and indigenous people. This country has needed that caricature and that mythology to justify what was done, to justify land theft, to justify colonization, to justify indigenous erasure, the actual erasure of indigenous people through genocide and displacement and dispossession. And so the imagery of the happy Indian or the the happy Native who is generously giving their belongings and, you know, giving that to the pilgrims, that serves an ideological function. I think we have to be very clear about that. So I think one of the things your listeners might consider, whatever you do on Thanksgiving, frankly, I would hope it's not just Thanksgiving, but especially on that day, to seek out the perspectives of Indigenous people. This is the information age. You can go online and very quickly find writings and videos and perspectives from Indigenous people and not just a caricature. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, educating ourselves is so important. But, you know, like the title of your book, How to Be Less Stupid About Race, I think Americans are so stupid about Native Americans. And I mean, I put myself in the same category, but it's not just that we're stupid about it. It's that we're so limited, like we're not investigating. We kind of take this, you know, again, like the Thanksgiving story as kind of that's it. This was the Native American contribution to Thanksgiving. Well, we're educated to be ignorant. You know, when I mentioned James Lowen, uh, his book, Life, my teacher told me what he's explaining in that book is that our educational system has been set up in ways in which our real history has been distorted and, and systematically distorted, largely for ideological reasons. So it's not a mistake that Indigenous perspectives are largely removed from our history books. To include those perspectives would be to challenge, right, to challenge the master narrative, to challenge the ways in which we typically are encouraged to view the nation. 
So that's by design. It's not like it's a mystery. How did this happen? And this is how power works. This is how domination works. And I think part of becoming less stupid about race and racism and all of that is becoming more critical in how we think about and understand power. That's one of the things I lay out, you know, in the beginning of the book. If we want to talk about racism, we have to first understand that racism is a system of power. And we have to understand how, especially in the case of the United States, racism has been intertwined with settler colonialism and how settler colonialism became a white supremacist project. And so, you know, once we start talking about that power and racism and settler colonialism, now we're no longer taking the history that we learned in our middle school or high school classrooms for granted. We actually are challenging it and and thinking about which perspectives were excluded or included. So I think that kind of critical thinking is really so crucial. The other thing I'd say, too, is that what's very typical about being socialized in the United States, just growing up here, is that we're encouraged as Americans to really not think about Native Americans at all. We're encouraged to to really not think about them. I'll give you a concrete example. In my race and ethnicity course, which has almost 200 students enrolled, at the beginning of the semester this year, I asked my students to estimate the population demographics that the U.S. Census Bureau uses for the number of African Americans, number of Native Americans, white Americans, and so on. So I put up, this is like a big lecture hall, I put up on on this huge screen what the categories were. And Native Americans, Indigenous Americans were one of the named categories. Students had a few minutes, they were supposed to come up with their educated guesses. You know, what percentage of the U.S. population does each of these groups represent? And Lori, let me tell you, I collected their estimations and then I tabulated them. And what was shocking shouldn't have shocked me, but it did nevertheless, is that even though I asked the students to think about and estimate the population size of Native Americans in this country, about a quarter of the students just didn't do it. Really? So they came up with an estimate for African Americans, for white Americans, for Asian Americans, for Hispanics. But when it came to Native Americans, just about a quarter of the students forgot, even when they were encouraged to, even when We had the category on the screen, right? So it just gives you a sense of how difficult it is for Americans to actually get in the habit of thinking about Native Americans, just basic cognitive, you know, attention to Native Americans, because we're usually not invited to, and that's by design. Yeah. And I think the Thanksgiving story is actually adding to that ability to stay ignorant, right? I mean, it's the happy Indian story. And that's kind of all you need to know because it just reinforces this idea that they were there, they were helpful, they were happy to be of service. And and then that's enough, right? I mean, the Thanksgiving story is quite dangerous, actually, when you think about it, because it's one of the only stories that gets told, right? Exactly. Right. You know, the dangers of a single story. So not Mm -hmm. only does it give this mythology of the happy Native, but it also relegates Natives to the past. And so Thanksgiving is not a day where many Americans think about how are Indigenous folks faring now. 
right now. I think earlier you mentioned Black Lives Matter and related issues. One of the things people don't realize is that Native Americans are at the highest risk per capita of being killed by police. Well, when I teach this to my students, they're shocked. I, frankly, I was shocked when I saw the statistic. But, you know, we don't talk enough about that. We don't talk enough about the risk of suicide that Indigenous people face or health disparities or, you know, simply their relationship to the land, which is always under threat from the ongoing project of settler colonialism. And we, you know, as a nation, had this relatively brief moment where there was national attention to Standing Rock and so on, and now that attention has waned. But that has been an ongoing crisis that Indigenous people are facing, their land, their resources, their water, their lives under continual threat from our country. So Thanksgiving is dangerous, yes, not only because it reproduces this mythology of the happy Native American, but also the mythology that Native Americans don't exist anymore, as though they're just historical actors. They have survived. They have survived genocide and dispossession, and they're still here, and their perspectives matter. So I think, you know, again, one of the things we can do, I don't know if you call it a celebration, although I could think of things to celebrate, things like celebrating Indigenous survival, Indigenous wisdom, yeah, there there was a, I found some people celebrate Indigenous Resistance Day. That's yeah. what they've renamed um, Thanksgiving, which I thought was pretty right on there yeah. um, because they survived. Yeah, like what does it mean to celebrate Indigenous resistance as opposed to celebrating colonialism? I mean, I think that's a really significant shift, but it's also a moral shift. This is also about morality. Uh, I think we have to be very clear that it's immoral to celebrate the oppression of Native Americans. It's immoral to misrepresent what happened to them. And unfortunately, because of the way racism and, and white supremacy and settler colonialism work, since the inception of this nation, since the beginning, Americans have been indoctrinated with very immoral beliefs, immoral beliefs about the inferiority and superiority of certain groups, immoral ideas about the entitlement of colonizers to this land through ideas like Manifest Destiny, as though it was God's will that you know, European colonizers just come and take this land from the indigenous people, and that's a great thing. These are deeply immoral and unethical beliefs that we have to challenge. Yeah, and I actually definitely want to get back to, you know, what that actually looks like in a practical way. But I want to just go a little bit left for a second, not really left, but you step away from Native Americans for a moment. And I've talked to um, many African-Americans who boycott Thanksgiving mm -hmm. because they simply see it as a celebration of European colonization and imperialism and, you know, what came next for people of color, of all colors, under European rule in this country. Um, do you understand that perspective as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there are many reasons to be ambivalent about or even just opposed to Thanksgiving. I think the more you learn about the history of this country, the more reasons you'll have. So I think for African Americans who are critical about the history of this country and the history of racism and oppression, it makes a lot of sense to rethink Thanksgiving, if not 
boycott it altogether. I, I think for different people, that means different things. I'd say for me personally, the hardest thing to imagine boycotting is some stuffing and macaroni and cheese and turkey and gravy. <laughs> yes, um, yes. You know, I have to draw my line there. But I don't think that you have to call a meal like that a Thanksgiving celebration. And even if you do call it a celebration, again, I think there are other things to celebrate besides colonization, things like resistance and survival. So, yeah, let's talk about now. And, and this is what I loved about your book so much in um, How to Be Less Stupid About Race. I really like the way you set up the book where you kind of explain the problem and then give us actually some real practical ways to approach a solution. And so let's look at some practical ways that people could reframe or relook at what Thanksgiving is. How do we reframe also? I mean, again, I really like stuffing as well. Mashed potatoes, gravy, macaroni and cheese, all of it. Don't even need the turkey. But we are saying that, you know, the actual story behind Thanksgiving is amoral. It's the whole principle is basically based on a lie. So how can people, can they reclaim it? Can they still eat stuffing and mashed potatoes? Or is it a wearing black all day? Like just let's spitball some ideas so that people can plan for the next Thanksgiving, yeah. how they can like legitimately do something and, you know, and feel better about what it is we do on this day. Yeah. You know, one thing, one thing I just would clarify is that I do, so the last chapter of my book has like 10 different practical steps or suggestions for addressing systemic racism and white supremacy in our society. I'm careful not to call them solutions because I'm not sure that there are solutions, right, to these really pervasive problems. But I do think that there are things that we can, actions that we can take both as individuals, but more particularly as communities. You mentioned already the idea of actually seeking out the perspectives of Indigenous people. That's not just academic. That's very practical. On your Thanksgiving day, you could think about watching a documentary that actually centers the perspectives of Indigenous people or watching interviews with Indigenous activists. It's not enough, though, to listen and learn. We have to think about shifting resources. So seeking out Indigenous organizations to literally give money to or whatever it is they say they need. That is something that you can practically do, not just on Thanksgiving, but whenever the spirit moves you. And I think what we're talking about in our conversation, Lori, is really a broad cultural transformation. And we know that these things take time, but it's so important to take what you learn, to take what new information you're able to glean about this history and, and ongoing oppression that Indigenous people are facing but to take that and have more conversations. You should talk about it at your dinner table. You should talk about it with your family and with your friends, with your colleagues. And it shouldn't just be on Thanksgiving, but I think that that day is one in particular where we can try in our spheres of influence to bring more attention to what Indigenous folks are experiencing and how they describe the meaning, not just of this day, but of their relationship to this nation. Yeah, I, I like all those ideas very much. And I think, you know, along those lines about, you know, having conversations, I think, um, you know, whatever your role in society is, if you're a teacher, bring this new information to your students. If you're a writer, write about it. If you're an actor, you know, 
make some theater, make some art about it. I think that that's, you know, people often do feel that they can't do anything. They can't change the whole American holiday, but individual acts can lead to some sort of solution. And again, I think back to, I think Columbus Day, Mm -hmm. you know, we were having these conversations years ago. And now, I mean, I don't even think I knew when Columbus Day officially Mm -hmm. was this year because so many people did not recognize it. My children had school on Columbus Day, which was like the first time that that's happened. So I think people really can make a difference by doing these individual acts like you're suggesting. Can you envision a time when the fourth Thursday of the month of November is not called Thanksgiving? And if so, what might it be called? You know, that's a really interesting question. You know, I think, again, not to sound like a broken record, I think we'd have to ask Indigenous people. You know, I think one of the things I was thinking about as you were just talking now is we need to read more of the work of Indigenous scholars and writers. I was thinking of folks like Dr. Kim Tallbear or Adrian Keene. Um, but that's one of the main things we can do is also just to like to read their work and to ask them. I think they get to decide. I think if we're going to rename Thanksgiving, Indigenous people get to decide. So I'm going to defer to Indigenous folks on that. But, you know, I think why not imagine a time when we don't have what's called Thanksgiving, but we have Indigenous Resistance Day. But to imagine that would mean to imagine all of the cultural, social, political, and even economic transformations that would need to happen to bring about that change in consciousness. You know, we get a different name when we get a different relationship between Indigenous people in the United States, when we get more of a culture of of morality and ethics and compassion and resistance to oppression, I think that's when we could say, well, the name change would happen because of that broader social and cultural transformation. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I did read one essay by a Native American writer who said she does celebrate Thanksgiving. She didn't change the name. She celebrates the day, but what she's celebrating is the survival of her people. And she said that she makes a big feast with foods that's traditionally associated with Thanksgiving because she said at that original Thanksgiving meal, the Native Americans brought most of the food anyway. And like (laughs) that all of the foods were traditional Native foods anyway. Mm -hmm. So, you know, celebrate that. Like that's what she's celebrating is she's celebrating the fact that Native people were kind enough to help those in need and that they continue to survive their continuous oppression. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe our, you know, we should be, like you said, looking at the Native American community and taking the lead from them, not creating it our own version yeah. that suits our needs. Yeah, right? you know, there's just along those lines, there's an article up on the National Museum of the American Indians website, and it's called Do American Indians Celebrate Thanksgiving? So your listeners can look that up as well and see that there are numerous Native voices that are gathered there saying what they do and how they approach um, Thanksgiving. And some of them, like the woman you just cited, say, yeah, they have a meal, but the meaning is quite different. So I think we need to do more of that, listening to their experiences and and seeing what we can learn from centering uh, Indigenous folks, particularly in this month of November, when that's what we're supposed to be doing anyway. 
Thank you so much, Crystal Fleming, for joining me today on My American Melting Pot. I totally feel less stupid about Thanksgiving, and I hope all of my listeners do too. Thank you, Lori. So glad to join you. How can people find out more about your work and your book? Well, you could check out my website. It's crystalfleming.com. A lot of people follow me on Twitter, and my Twitter handle is always the self always the self. And yeah, you know, I'm working on like three different books and I tend to write about them on Twitter and on social media. So I'd be glad to connect with folks on there. And you're being like slightly modest because there's like, you have thousands of followers on Twitter, don't you? I mean, you're pretty prolific. Yeah. I'm a I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I'm a follower. Um, oh, and, Lori, thank you. And your book is like blowing up and you're everywhere. Where are you going to be, um, let's say, in uh, December and January? Are you on tour with How to Be Less Stupid About Race? You know what, Lori? I'm so glad I'm going to be home. That's where I'm going to be in December and January. My next tour stop is in Miami. And then I have a couple of months where I get to catch my breath and make some progress on those books I'm working on. And then the tour picks back up in February. I'll be out in the West Coast in California. And I'm going to be all over. So if you want tour details, check my website. So... Listeners, please follow Crystal on Twitter. She is prolific and smart and funny. And her book, How to Be Less Stupid About Race, really is an amazing book. And you will learn a lot and you will also laugh a lot. And you will have, (laughs) you know, new information about race. Even if you think you know it all, you don't. So um, (laughs) pick up the book. And thank you again, Crystal, for being here today on My American Melting Pot. Thanks so much, Lori. So, Melting Pot listeners, we have to rethink Thanksgiving. As much as we might love that big meal, the turkey, the stuffing, the dressing, cranberry sauce, it doesn't feel so good when you consider what the Thanksgiving holiday is really about. Crystal Fleming really made me think about the idea of celebrating Thanksgiving, that what we're celebrating is the beginning of the oppression of Native American people. She used the word unethical and amoral in honoring what has been actually the degradation and oppression of the people who were originally on this land. So how can we celebrate it? I know I'm going to spend the next year thinking about all of the things Crystal brought up. I'll be trying to educate myself more reading Native American accounts and texts. And by next Thanksgiving, I hope that my Thanksgiving table or what I do on this fourth Thursday of the month of November looks very different than what I've done in the past. What are you going to do differently? Tell me about it on the blog or find me on social media. If you want to find out more about the history of Thanksgiving or about Crystal Fleming and her work, you can visit MyAmericanMeltingPot.com and search Crystal Fleming. We'll also have a link to her book, How to Be Less Stupid About Race. Thank you for listening to the My American Melting Pot podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
I don't really care. Just leave a review. You can also leave me a message on the blog or find me on social media at My American Melting Pot. Now, if you really like what you heard today, be sure to come back in two weeks to download episode two when we'll be talking about racist technology. You probably want to know what that is, so you have to tune in. Even better, you could just subscribe to the podcast and each new episode will be automatically downloaded for you. This episode was recorded at WRTI Studios in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where they do celebrate Thanksgiving, but pumpkin spice is not allowed on the menu. Our producer and editor is Brad Linder. Our sound engineer is Joe Patty. Our theme music was composed by Sumi Tanoka, and our communications intern is Darian Muka. Thank you so much for listening to My American Melting Pot. <laughs>